everyone, it's Julian here. Welcome to The Check-In, the podcast where we talk all things British Airways. It's hosted by colleagues from across the airline with guest speakers joining us to give you the inside scoop on what's happening at the nation's flag carrier. Well, today I've got uh, Molly and Paul hosting the podcast with me. Uh, hi, guys. Hi, Molly. How's things? Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, I am in Manchester today and it's a gorgeous autumnal day here for once it's not raining. Um, and we've got a pretty busy operation today, but we're hanging in there. Good stuff. And um, and Paul, normally, uh, well, the last time we uh, did a podcast, I think you were perhaps the one in the exotic location. Just dropping in that I'm in Dubai and it's 94 degrees outside the window. Uh, how's <laughs> things with you, Paul? Uh, hi, hi, Molly. Hi, Julian. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm unfortunately in a Heathrow, uh, uh, in a dark corner and in a cupboard under the stairs. Recording where you should be. Podcast. Yeah, where I should be, but don't worry, the medication will kick in. <laughs> good. Well, but, uh, uh, yeah. today we're... Well, we're talking about adverse weather today, from the planning it to dealing with its operational impacts. And Paul, I think you're going to you're going to do the introductions. Yeah. So uh, today's episode is all about adverse weather operation planning, and we're joined by two guests. Uh, we're joined by Bav, who's head of operation readiness, and Elizabeth, who's accountable manager operations. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good afternoon. Very welcome to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Um, so, yeah, so just tell us about, obviously, uh, obviously British Airways is a national flag carrier. It's a massive, ma- massive operation. Uh, what are your kind of roles in, in town? Uh, so, hi, good afternoon. Uh, Bavin here. So, to kick off, so my uh, role in entails effectively taking the schedule from network planning at 10 days out, um, and looking after that um, sort of the global schedule for BA mainline from 10 days out to the day before, um, including all of our operations, our aircraft, um, ensuring we have uh, a schedule that is deliverable uh, to operate on the day. All flying is covered, it's crewed, we've got resource allocated towards it, um, and that it's, uh, we deliver for our customers on the day. And I'm Liz, good afternoon. And so I take over from BAV at that 24-hour window, looking after the remainder of the operation. So continuing the good work that's been done by the planning team upstream. And the idea is to keep as much stability across the network as possible for our customers, based upon what they've booked for their holidays or trips many, many months ago, and trying to deliver that plan so that all resources, whether they be at a hub airport or they be at a worldwide station, know clearly what times, what aircraft they're expecting, etc. And so we work very much with the fleet planning team in advance and feed back to them any issues we see on the day. So uh, sometimes, as we know, weather can appear out of nowhere. How prepared um, for British Airways are we with the winter operations? So we have um, processes and plans in place to, uh, to deal with uh, weather that we either know about or is forecasted ahead of time. We work very closely with the Met Office here at Heathrow um, and with Heathrow Airport itself um, and have a strong relationship with NAS. Weather is a really di- uh, it's a difficult um, situation to plan for because everything is always based on a forecast um, and you can go with the information you have at the time. Uh, we've got great, as I said, the collaboration we have uh, with the airports teams and the Met Office is incredible um, and we do our best to plan against the information we have at the time. So And so, Beth, what does that, what does that um, if you'll forgive me for butting in, what does that interaction with the Met Office look like? Well, how does that, uh, who, who do you talk to and, and, and how often? 
So we have um, we have a daily call uh, with uh, he, the airport and the Met Office um, every afternoon uh, to understand today's weather or the remainder of today's operations, which obviously Liz, Liz looks after, and also look ahead uh, days ahead. We get weather reports uh, from the providers that we've uh, that uh, we that look after us, and um, so we generally get a good heads up as to what's coming up, um, and therefore we can put plans in place. Um, should we or convene our incident management framework if we feel uh, there's a significant situation that's a few days ahead of us. We're quite lucky with our weather providers, but we also have a dedicated winter team based at Heathrow Our Hub. They're not doing that service all year round. They For six months of the year, they'll wash aircraft and for the remainder of the year, they'll actually treat winter off. Um, and what they will actually look at is a number of forecasting tools. So they will use the Met Office open runway information, which is like a five day forecast and also a longer range forecast. So to understand when we're likely to see a weather event going forward. In this particular case, it's likely to be snow or sleet or icy conditions, etc., which we're obviously very keen to try and mitigate against any delays for the safety of our aircraft, for our customers as well, and protect the flying program as much as possible. And I understand um, yesterday uh, there was a big dress rehearsal in Heathrow. Um, what did that entail? So have, uh, Babin's team and I work closely with, with Heathrow and in readiness for our winter, which we're coming up to the season boundary change now, and hopefully when this podcast goes live, it will be probably in our winter events. Um, but we get start getting ready for our winter season from about July onwards, and that's recruiting our winter operation teams to actually treat aircraft, looking at our processes that we have with in-house, etc., and making sure that people, if they've been busy washing aircraft for the last six months, they've forgotten maybe how to de-ice an aircraft. So that is that refamiliarisation of their tasks again. So a bit like like we're going back into the simulators, we'll ask our teams out at Heathrow to actually start practicing the spraying and treating of aircraft. So that big winter exercise yesterday would have involved maybe a live aircraft, live flight crew, and standing up a number of de-icing rigs to simulate what it would be like on the day actually spraying an aircraft. And Julian, you're, as you're a captain of the Boeing 777, when you obviously request yeah. de-icing, how long can an aircraft be de-iced for before it can take off? Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it depends on the conditions, uh, Paul, really. So when an aircraft is de-iced or, more importantly, anti-iced, depending on the conditions outside, whether it's uh, snow, what the temperature is, whether it's actually falling, whether it's just fallen, uh, we, we, get, we go into a table and work out what's called a holdover time. So as long as we get airborne within that holdover time, and that'll vary, then, of course, everything's safe. But um, I mentioned the word safe. We don't rely on the whole overtime table. So we'll always do a visual inspection and make sure that there's no contamination on the airframe at all before we take off. So it's a, it's a variable feast, but it's um, it's quite a complex one, uh, particularly actually for the for the de-icers and the guys working out uh, what to put in the machines and how to, where to spray it. It's um, yeah, it's very complex, but uh, fascinating at the same time. It is, because obviously being cabin crew, I get to see that and I get to see sometimes the first officer or captain while we're boarding come down and look through the windows just to look on the on the wings before the icing. And this is, um, am I, correct me if I'm right, that's to check if there may be some layer forms of ice. And as cabin crew as well, we're told to report that to you if we do see that. Yeah, absolutely. It's really important that, that an aeroplane takes off completely free of contamination. So uh, to be fair, the, the easiest way for us to sometimes check the upper surfaces of the wings is to come down and uh, lean across the, the person in, in 25 golf and just peer out of the window and try and explain what we're doing. <laughs> so, yeah, no, very important. 
to support Julian's sort of like visual inspection as well, there is a dedicated team at Heathrow that's um, stood up when we're going to winter season called Snowflakes. And they are actually uh, management pilots and they can be called upon if it's uh, difficult maybe to see visually whether there's contaminations on the wings. They will be tasked with going out in one of our cherry picker vehicles and going up to a high level to check the contamination on the wings and supporting the decision with the flight crew as to whether the aircraft will need treatments or not. And it is, obviously you're managing all of Heathrow, is this the same for Gatwick and London City, the BA operation there? So uh, London City is uh, managed by City Flyer uh, up in uh, near Manchester, so they manage the operation there. Uh, Gatwick is probably a little bit more different as we approach this winter with the setup of Euroflyer. Uh, the long haul operation is effectively a mainline operation, uh, which would be coordinated uh, by ourselves. We work very closely with the City Fly team and Eurofly to ensure that we're joined up in our approach um, and execution on the day. So from a customer perspective, regardless of where they're flying from, we ensure uh, that the whole, the whole, um, all of our customers are looked after across the three uh, different parts of the airline. Oh, brilliant. And, um, and Liz, I suppose the, the, the elephant in the room when talking about MET and MET forecasts is I guess sometimes the weather that's been forecast doesn't actually materialise or, or it changes or it's not quite as bad. Um, how, how, flex, how flexible do you manage to, to keep over flight cancellations and schedule changes? Well, working closely with Bavin's team, we'll have had sort of like a forecast from day minus three to actually maybe the time of an event. Um, and we will look at looking for cancellation nominations if there is a requirement to take a reduction in our flying programme so that we can achieve, safely achieve the operation. Um, we will try and react as quickly as we can should that forecast change. And as Bavin said, it is a quite a fluid situation. So on the day, if we suddenly find ourselves in 10 centimetres of snow rather than three centimetres, then that's going to cause a huge impact on the on the airfield. And we'll be working closely yeah. with the hub as well as the airfield, as well as NATS, to understand what cancellations we need to take. The, obviously, the impact of that is our customers, but also the crew and the aircraft out of position uh, for their next rotation. So trying to keep as much as the plan as we advertise, as opposed to our customers in advance, and getting making sure that when we come out of this, we're in a stronger place for recovery as well. So it is quite difficult to act on the day. Um, it always quite messy the first day of a winter season. I'm sure if you were to visit some of our sort of like known neighbours of uh, who experience a lot of heavy snow over the winter, the first time that we go into a winter event, it's always quite difficult. And I think it's for us, like you said earlier on, we're not used to having sort of snow, so maybe longer periods of uh, winter operation is always difficult for us to manage. It is. I, I suppose one of the um, one of the difficulties we do have is um, at what point do we make a decision on our operations? Uh, we get, a, if we were expecting a significant snow event, uh, we convene something called OPG, which is Operations Planning Group, and that has stakeholders across the business uh, from the operations team, commercial, catering, um, to evaluate our operation, we look at what our de-icing capabilities, what our resources, how many customers we're expecting to fly. And as we all know, as we get closer to the day, the forecast is more improved, it's more accurate. Um, and we have we have a decision in terms of at what point do we make a decision if we are taking flight cancellations or consolidating flights versus the customer impact. If you act too soon, you could end up taking more flights out than you needed to. If you act too late, we're actually going to cause more disruption. And as Liz quite rightly said, um, 
when we have aircraft in crew up positions, the recovery of that becomes more difficult. So it, it is taking the, it's making a decision at the most responsible time, uh, ensuring we, we protect as many customer journeys as possible. Yeah, and I, and I guess um, short haul seems to suffer from those cancellations more than long haul. What, what's the, what's the reason for that? For those listening, short haul is high frequency. We have um, much better options in terms of uh, customer recovery, either through alternative airports or sister airports, and the ability of, to upgrade aircraft. Um, we have three variants of the Airbus fleet offering different capacities, but what we also have with short haul is the ability to put on long haul uh, wide body services if we need to to get customers uh, to and from destinations. Long haul is incredibly yeah. complicated. Um, if we when we start cancelling, if we do start cancelling long haul flights, the other thing we have issues with here at Heathrow is um, space and the ability to actually park aircraft. When we have a significant snow event and we have a number of uh, wide body services yet yeah, to actually move aircraft around the airfield one we've got to make sure it's safe uh, to do that um, and that just takes time so long haul services we protect as much as possible clearly where there are opportunities to consolidate depending on what the customer demand is we, we look at we look at that as well so we kind of look at the whole picture uh, but the customer is absolutely at, at the heart of ensuring we can get as protect as many journeys as possible so with obviously we cancel the flight and we have those customers with connection flights. How does it work for the, does your team take care of the connections? So any anything we kind of cancel ahead of time, we we said the, the flights that are selected to cancel have a number of factors against them. Customer being um, at the top of that to ensure we can get them away. Our commercial teams work, uh, we work very closely with our commercial teams to identify which flights are the best ones to cancel. Um, and then we'll look to reaccommodate customers, whether it's we can rebook them through a connecting flight or as an example being we've got a customer traveling Paris, London, New York, and we carry and we cancel the Paris service. Actually, can we get them on the Paris, New York service directly with American? So we look at all those options they looked at to get the customer to the destination. Yeah, and then yeah, sometimes okay. just from an engagement centre point of view um, to help you and uh, Julian and Paul, uh, if there is kind of mass weather, we will get a policy um, set in place. We do think about you guys in the contact centre. Thank uh, you. We, we think about the contact centre is um, an important factor for our customers to get in contact with you guys. Um, and when we do look at cancellations, you know, we look at to ensure we're cancelling flights in enough time. To enable them to actually reach you, be able to rebook in the situation in scenarios where they're not able to rebook online or have got complex journeys. So, you know, we, we wouldn't be looking to cancel things at six o'clock in the evening uh, and the contact centres are closing two hours later, as an example. Yeah. So, as Bad alluded to earlier on, we've got that um, daily call with the Met Office and at Heathrow, if we're talking specifically about Heathrow, and it'll be post that that we would actually make a decision about whether we're looking at consolidation or cancellations. So, we'll be publishing those options during the afternoon of a day before an event at minus 24. So when there's weather disruption um, happens, why can there be like a knock-on disruption with flights? Well, many reasons. So we talked about aircraft and crew being out of position as, as Bav alluded to. If you did decide to cancel a long-haul service, the idea of actually that aircraft should have been away from our hub 
at the other station picking customers up the crew links of all of those trips etc is broken the actual rotation of the aircraft and maybe further down the line the maintenance speed of that aircraft going into in engineering when it's required to have its weekly checks etc has all gone completely out of the timetable so it takes a while to put the recovery program back in yeah, and um, Liz, how far up the chain of command does the decision to cancel go, or is or, or are you the person that is it? Does, does the buck stop with you? <laughs> I think on the day the buck stops with. I do have a strong team around who are made up of duty managers, crew controllers, aircraft controllers, and stand planners, and we will evaluate the situation. We work, work closely with the hubs as to whether they're able to deliver the remainder of the operation, uh, and so whether they believe we have restrictions about the hours that we can fly, certainly from a Heathrow point of view, less so at Gatwick, but could we deliver the rest of the operation even if we ask for dispensation to go beyond our night jet? ban period over at Heathrow and what does that do for the next day's recovery because if I decide to take cancellations today then I'm obviously going to have a less recovery options for the following day as well. So Liz, Liz you just mentioned about a jet ban um, restriction can you just explain what that is? Yeah so we have uh, restrictions over at Heathrow about the hours that we can actually operate within we obviously want to be a very good neighbour to Heathrow and the serving community as well uh, surrounding community and so from that point of view we have a, a small number of flights that we're allowed to land before 0602 local every day and we have to complete our operation by 2329 every single day as well. What we can do is on a day of disruption, we can approach HAL to ask them whether they will be allowing us to go beyond those timescales, obviously bearing in mind that it is sort of like an environmental uh, area built up around with communities, etc. So we want to be um, mindful of, of sort of like the noises that our larger aircraft can probably generate as well. So it is very much at Hal's decision about whether they will allow us to, to operate outside of those hours. And can I ask why 602, not like 601 <laughs> or 605? <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can answer that one. <laughs> oh, Julian knows that. Over to you. Over to you. Yeah, it's because we're not very good timekeepers, so we give it it's a two minute flexible window. I think the time is actually six o'clock, but they say to us pilots, right, make it 6.02. Then if you mess it up, you've got two minutes flex. <laughs> well, that answers that. There we are. You're welcome. Thank you, Judith, for joining us. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, and, and actually I will add to that, that it's uh, we do actually, it's, it's, those times are absolutely sacrosanct. I mean, when we fly together, Paul, and I'll come down the back and say, well, we can't land before 6.02. It, it's absolutely we will hold before we land at 602. It's it's that um, it's that um, serious, and we're, we're very keen to to make sure we don't disturb the local population more than we have to. So London is in is obviously our main hub, but we um we fly to all over the globe. New York being one of our bigger hubs. Um, obviously uh, with winter coming up over there, they have a significant amount of snow. Um, what do we see that operation look like, and how would we deal with that? So that's a really good question. The the weather in in the New York area over the winter, or actually the east coast, uh, the east coast of the US, is um, we see that every year. They the weather seems to be getting worse every year actually as well, which means we actually have to uh, the response we take is is a little bit more than we've done before. Uh, we work very very closely with our US uh, team with the worldwide airports team. They get very good intel of uh, their local weather forecasts, and we also work very closely with our joint business partners, American, 
uh, to understand what they're going to do for their operation. I think one thing we have to remember when we're operating to the US is that the customers on either American flights or BA flights are still BA customers. Um, and we try and make a decision based upon our operations around, around kind of the whole picture in terms of what we protect. Um, New York is an important market for us. We protect the flying as much as we can. When we see significant snowfalls, um, we have to ensure that the operations both in New York can be handled safely. Um, and one of the issues that we do see there is colleagues are actually unable to get to the airport. Uh, if the road and the local infrastructure is closed, um, it's, you know, it wouldn't be a responsible thing to do to put an aircraft in there and either leave it um, and, and not have the, uh, the start end to actually deal with the operation. So we, you know, we take um, a lot of advice. Uh, they're very experienced in the US at dealing with snow. And I suppose when New York's hit as well, it's, it's not just New York, because then we try and reboot customers in any airport around there and it's just a knock-on effect for, for days trying to get customers either away or, or back home um, so this one one day can have a ripple effect. Yeah it can have a huge impact uh, you know American Airlines operation in the US is, is absolutely uh, massive it's a huge operation domestically that they operate um, and we can talk about rebooking customers you know via Chicago, Boston and all of these sort of places but uh, what we don't want to do is rebook customers via Chicago, think we're going to connect them onto New York with American, and American go and do um, a large number of cancellations, and we've got customers stuck um, in other points of the US. And hence why we work extremely closely with American to understand like, what, what are their decision points versus our decision points uh, to protect as many customers as possible. So every day is a school day for BA and we always try to to learn from our previous years. So can you just tell us a little bit more of, about how, how we are going to develop as an airline? Uh, hi Molly, it's Liz. I'll answer that question. Certainly from um, every year we learn something from our previous seasons, whether they be over the summer or the winter. And what we've learned over the previous winter seasons is we need to work closely with our Heathrow stakeholder uh, who is HAL themselves and certainly this year we will be inviting them into our head office here at Waterside to sit with us in global operations to coordinate um, our stand plan for Terminal 5 and that will mean that um, when we have aircraft that have been treated over the winter period um, on stand with de-icing fluid at some stage we will not need to coordinate the cleaning of that particular stand once the aircraft has departed and may clear away snow dumps that have formed as well and we need to do that in a collaborative fashion so that we're targeting the same area with our resource to make sure that um, it is done in a safe manner as well so we're inviting Heathrow Airport into global operations for winter 23 going forward and that's the first time that will have been actually happening for this season and from previous events. Oh great so uh, we talk about um, adverse weather and, and we've been concentrating quite a lot on on snow and, and, and the winter. Uh, but I guess your job, uh, Liz and Bav, goes all through the year. I mean, we had quite a lot of wind disruption, didn't we, in, in recent months. Uh, how, how is that different from, from winter weather and snow and clearance operations? So I think uh, the format um, in terms of how we would uh, look to plan our operation is, is probably not too uh, dissimilar in terms of getting a forecast as early as we can uh, from the Met Office and from Heathrow Airport. Uh, the slight difference, well, probably not a slight difference, but what, what we also need to understand from the airport is whether the airport are going to put any restrictions in when it comes to wind uh, with something called flow rates. And the flow rate is effectively how many aircraft can we land per hour 
um, on any normal day uh, with uh, stable uh, weather conditions, you know, we land anywhere that 42 aircraft an hour. However, if we expect significant winds either throughout the whole course of the day, Heathrow Airport um, and NATS jointly will put a flow rate restriction in. So that 42 an hour could very quickly become something like 30 or 24 an hour, which is effectively almost taking us to half the number of arrivals per hour. And that's like to have yeah. subsequent um, uh, disruptive operations. What we do do with Heathrow Airport, what Heathrow Airport do is we're collaborative with all airlines across the airport. Um, and they will sometimes mandate a reduction uh, from all airlines uh, to ensure there's an even spread um, across the community of any uh, reduction in the flying programme. So we work very closely with them. Um, uh, and uh, again, as a as the hub airline, we we generally do take we take the brunt of it as well, unfortunately. Um, but that's like any hub airline um, that are based around the world. I'm sure, and that sounds quite short notice as well. I guess when when how decide to cut the flow rates, uh, that must give you a bit of a headache being so short notice and, and, and having to uh, think on your feet, I guess. I think that then sits with on, on the day operations, certainly. So if they've had, as Bab alluded to, the community call with all the airlines at Heathrow, there's a certain amount of action we can take on the day. But if on the actual day itself, um, the penalising rates are such that we need to take further intervention, we will be working collaboratively with our customer team over at the terminals, obviously with all the aircraft and crew rotations, engineering, and also how themselves to understand which services we probably can need to cancel or consolidate uh, to take action on. Uh, and bearing in mind that we're trying to protect as much as we can so that we've got a strong operating day for the next day as well. So it it is quite fluid. It isn't a finger in the air job. There is a little bit of science behind how we select the services that we probably do need to take out. And so we will probably avoid taking anything that was going to night stop away within Europe. So probably what we would call a round trip service there and back and primarily on a short haul basis as well. And yeah, and it's, it's just great to see how many of the how much of the company is involved in this isn't it it's it's like one big team operating together um, and we we would we've just been talking about how it affects us and uh, and then of course you've got uh, molly's team in manchester and the engagement centers you've got uh, caroline's team in t5 and it, it just just brings us everyone together as a team doesn't it it's quite impressive it is and it's we you know we have an incredibly complex operation um, and sometimes i think on the outside you need decisions about anything what 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 why have we done that so if we expect, you know, we're not going to go, if we had to cancel flying and we expect uh, a difficult two hours, we're not we're just going to cancel everything within those two hours and let the surrounding areas operate because we, we look at capacity at Heathrow and aircraft integration, which is incredibly important. Uh, having too many aircraft at Heathrow um, is extremely difficult for us to manage. Uh, the stand plan, as Liz has already alluded to, we have the stands that we have for on the day operations. Um, and I think over and above that, we we then need to speak to the airport as well to seek assistance. So aircraft integrations forms a real uh, a really important part of how we manage our schedule of the day to keep aircraft moving in and out of Heathrow. I think it's um, probably just uh, another perception can be that we were very reactive on the day, um, and or did we not see the winds coming, or did we not see the snow coming? Um, Sometimes we don't because we didn't know about it, but very, yeah. very, very rarely, you know, we, we do know about it. We go with the information we have at the time um, and with the, what we think the forecast is going to be and, and make the best um, decision as we can in terms of whether we're going to cancel flights early or, you know, sometimes we'll take 20 flights out 
the day before because we think that's the right thing. And as Liz said, on the day, the flow rate of 34 an hour, which we thought for the first six hours ends up being about 28. Um, and then Liz and the team then have to go take another 20 flights out on the day. And it's like, oh, how did we not see that coming out? I can't believe we've done all these cancellations on the day. Do you see what I mean? It's that yeah. those, are, those are the sort of factors uh, that we kind of work against. So it is extreme. It is quite difficult to plan a weather event, especially with winds. We're reliant on what Heathrow and Nats are going to do on the day. They give us the best information as they can. Uh, but you know, ever more the what the, um, the restrictions we think that we're going to be on the day don't end up being on the day, and it can be a little bit more penalising. And that's why it then looks like we're being reactive. I think it's also not necessarily just maybe the flying conditions and as Bab alluded to the flow rates, but for certainly moving aircraft around or even taxiing around, we are very restricted from a towing perspective when it's a strong wind or whether it's a wet runway. So it's not just the activity in the air that's impacted, it's also the ground activity as well. There are, yeah. right. there are conditions actually uh, where certain ground activity stops completely um, when we're using equipment, load aircraft, high loaders um, if the winds are above certain certain speeds and then that varies depending on where you are in the terminal um, and what direction the wind's coming from so it's incredibly complicated that just because you've got a forecast on on the wind in some parts of the terminal it's actually more penalizing which could actually suspend the turnaround of an aircraft four-way period there's so much more to it isn't there than just uh, oh well we're going to cancel the flight today well uh, i'm afraid that's all we've got time for today's episode. I'd just like to thank uh, Elizabeth and Bav for coming in at their very important schedules and spending an afternoon with us. Thank you so much for joining us and also I'd like to thank Julian for dining in lovely um, Dubai. And thank lovely, you Paul. I forgot where he was then and uh, <laughs> Molly in Manchester. Thank you and thanks everyone. Um, the Check-In Podcast is a podcast hosted by BA colleagues such as myself, Paul, Julian and Caroline. You can listen to more episodes available now on One and on iTunes. Thanks for listening, take care and we'll see you for the next episode. Bye!